Good morning. Welcome to worship. We are glad that you are here today. If you are a guest with us, uh, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. So this week uh, is, is typically our, our fall kickoff, but we're calling it this year Vision Week. Vision Week, because we are putting before you a five-year vision for hope that comes from our leadership called Overflow with Hope. So I'm going to be preaching today on this verse and, and this vision. Uh, this entirety of this vision can be found on our website uh, in, in a document called Overflow with Hope. If you really get into like strategic initiatives and goals and all that type of stuff, uh, you can dive really deep through all the pieces that, that encompass there, but I want to talk about what this means, and I think this vision is very timely for our, our culture and for our congregation, uh, because hope, and I'm not talking about Hope Lutheran Church today, I'm talking about hope, the hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. I believe hope is, is a valuable commodity, and, and it's under attack, in other words, uh, today. Uh, there are a lot of things that seek to steal, to rob our hope from us. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate that. Uh, so uh, how many country western music fans are here today? Just, I like pretty much all music. So quite a, quite a few of them. I'm wearing my boots today. I got, I got my Vikings purple on today uh, as well, just, just so you know where I stand on the important issues. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, country western, I, I have to say, I, I much prefer old country versus the modern poppy stuff. Anybody with me? Okay, so like Merle Haggard, much more than Blake Shelton. Right? Uh, no offense, Blake, wherever you are in the world today, we, you know, it's good. Uh, but the, the modern poppy stuff, it seems just to lack the, maybe the depth or the soul and the storytelling capacity uh, that, that the old country has. But there is this resurgence uh, of these young artists that are, are playing in that old style and uh, really doing a great job of, of capturing uh, the story and the power of kind of that country western music. An example of that is recently, if, you, if you've been on social media at all, you've probably seen it, there's this guy named Oliver Anthony. Have you seen this, what happened? It's one of the big things of our summer. He's been on the number one spot uh, in the billboards across any music genre for, for weeks now. Uh, so about a month and a half ago, Oliver Anthony was literally, he never recorded, he had no, no recording contract, never played in front of anyone, uh, that type of thing, was just kind of a backyard musician. And uh, really broken life, struggling with, wrestling with alcohol and other choices. And he gives his life to Christ. And he starts making music. And he wrote this song called Rich Men North of Richmond. Rich Men North of, of Richmond. And it's not a religious song uh, by any means, but the, the faith conversion is a part of his story. And, and this song just overnight goes viral and becomes the one, number one song in, in the nation. Just him singing and his guitar. And when you listen to the lyrics and what it contains, and, and this sermon, believe me, is not about whether you agree or disagree with the politics of his song. You guys can debate that all you want. That's not what this is about. But I, but I was curious about why did this song just go viral? What, what, what did it touch in us? What, what did it touch in our nation that, that made it so powerful that people were listening to and re responding to it emotionally. And, and I believe what it touched is, is this sense of angst in the sense of, of discontent 
and the stats of, of a lack of control of our, of our destiny and, and perhaps a, a hopelessness about the future. Uh, this feeling that there, you know, there's some people, the rich men north of Richmond, that are, are controlling the things uh, around us that, that we don't really have maybe what we had uh, in the past. And, and so there, there, there's this hopelessness for the future and what that might mean as we struggle together that's just kind of captured in this song. Uh, I've been reading a book. It's called The Great Dechurching of America. Fascinating book. Just came off the presses about this big study of American religious practices. And one of the things that the authors of this book say is that the word polarized really isn't the word anymore. Probably sick of that word. I know I'm sick of this word. You know that we live in a polarized culture. And they say we're not even just polarized anymore. We're fractured culturally. We're fractured. And they, and they gave lots of examples of that. And I've seen that, too, personally, uh, in, in families that, I, that I've worked with and I know and I love. Uh, as a pastor, I've seen siblings that won't talk to each other. Right? You know, parents and children uh, uh, that, that really are in great tension with each other uh, and get angry with each other and are hateful and divisive towards each other because of political perspectives because of worldview perspectives. And on one hand, I think, well, you know, certainly there is, there is truth, and, and we need to, you know, have convictions, and that's a good thing, right? Uh, but on the other hand, is that who Jesus called us to be? I mean, Jesus said, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the first things. Love God, love each other, and then we begin this process of figuring out truth and, and, and what right and wrong and, and all those things. But it has to be umbrellaed. It has to be covered with God's love and our love. And it doesn't seem to be happening that way. And so we live in a culture that says, take a side. Pick a path. It's this way or it's that way. And that will determine who your friends are and who your enemies are, right? Who you can hang out with and who you cannot hang out with and who you can tolerate and who you cannot tolerate. And, and, and we live in this fractured society. But what if there was a different way? In fact, now what if there was a different way? I want to say to you, there is a different way. And, and that way is Jesus. That way is Jesus. And it has a lot to do with this vision and this verse to overflow with God's hope. So, so let's walk through that verse to see what that's all about and, and look at what that means. And so the verse goes like this. It says, may the God of hope. Let's stop there. May the God of hope. Again, not hope Lutheran. Hope is, is what God gives us. So what is hope? Well, the dictionary definition of hope is this. Hope is for uh, a wishful outcome for a future result, right? A desire that we might have, and we're kind of optimistic that that might happen, right? Like this time of year, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that this will be the year that the Vikings win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I just got a feeling, right? Why don't you shake your head at me? Let me be disappointed over and over again myself, right? But I am hopeful. 
Call me crazy, but I am. Okay, so, so that's worldly hope. Biblical hope is something different. Biblical hope is, is yes, the, the hope of a future promise, but it's also the knowledge of a present reality. Biblical hope is hope that's not a wishful, optimistic feeling. It's a hope that's based on, based on a reality. And that reality is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That reality is the gospel. We don't hope for something. We, ha- we place our hope in someone as Christians, in Jesus, in the good news that he's bringing. So what, what is the gospel? In case you've never heard the gospel, here's the gospel. This is what the Bible teaches us, that we are born into a sinful world. In fact, we are in bondage to sin, and we cannot free ourselves. And this sin separates us from a holy, righteous God because God is creator and he created this universe and all that exists in its perfection. God himself is holy in pure light and love. And so our sin stands in opposition to who God is. He sends us Jesus. God became one of us to be a mediator, to reconcile us into a right relationship with God. And the way that that happens is because Jesus, who is God incarnate, goes to the cross. Jesus, who was born to a virgin, who lived a sinless and blameless and holy life, goes to the cross and bears the sin of the world on himself, dies so that you might be forgiven. And then three days later, destroys the grave by rising from the tomb so that you might have eternal life. And because of Jesus' work and his work alone, by faith, when you stand before God, Jesus' blood will cover all of your sin and his righteousness will be your righteousness and you will live with God forever. That is the gospel. Our hope is in that truth and that knowledge of eternal life and that knowledge of the reality of Jesus Christ and what he means. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So the fruit of the knowledge of this gospel is not just that one day we'll be saved. It's that right here, right now, we have this resurrection reality present in our lives. Joy and peace. Later on, Galatians gives a little longer list. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So these are the things that the Holy Spirit produces in us as a result of this right relationship with God. This is is part of the overflow. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that as you trust in him, this is the important part, as you trust in him. Well, what is trust? Trust is an, an act of faith where we say, God, yes, We trust you, so God, we're saying yes, your way rather than my way. God, your truth that's revealed to us in Jesus Christ and your holy word rather than what I think sometimes. It's not just shutting off your brain. I'm not saying that you do that, but I am saying ultimately at the end of the day, who wins? God does in terms of the direction of our lives. Psalm 
uh, 3, 5, verses 5 and 6, or Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says it very well. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow with hope. An overflow of hope means that that God's promised reality is so present in our lives that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness overflow, pour out of us into the lives of others around us. And imagine what that would look like is if we as a church together are so connected to God that the fruit of that draws others in in a poured out abundant blessing to others. A life of overflow is is, is a life lived in in the abundance of of God. Uh, I I like to think about it this way. Uh, It's a life lived not by the, the scarcity of this world, but by the abundance of God's provision and his love. Think of it this way. Scarcity says not enough. Abundance says God is enough. Not enough means, you know, there's not enough food, there's not enough money, there's not enough resources. I got to go get mine before somebody else gets it. Abundance meant I have peace because I know that God is our provider. He gives us daily bread. God is enough. Scarcity is filled with fear of the future. Overflow is filled with hope for tomorrow. Scarcity says pain makes us bitter. Something bad happens to us and we get bitter. We fill with grudges. We, We are filled with hurt. An abundance of God perspective reminds us that Jesus bore our pain and our sin on the cross. And yes, it may hurt, but God redeems. And he can churn what the world intended for evil into a mighty good. And so pain makes us bitter. Overflow says redemption, God's love, makes us better. Scarcity is self-centered. Overflow is other-centered. Scarcity is selfishness. Overflow is generosity. Scarcity holds grudges. Abundance forgives because we've been forgiven. Scarcity is toxic to our soul. Abundance is the life that is really life that leads to eternal life. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of leaning one direction in terms of how I want to live my life. How about you? So how do we do this? What's to grab hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And step one of that, here's step one. If you've never thought about, well, how do I grab a hold of this reality of Jesus? Step one is this, is to recognize that it's entirely not about you. Step one of grabbing hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this life of overflow is for us to recognize individually and together that it's not about us. There are preachers that will preach to you that that this is about living your best life now, right? That the gospel of Jesus is so you can become this amazing person and be really rich and really successful and have your life, you know, perfect. That's not the gospel. It's not what Jesus taught 
It's a distortion of the truth. It's been twisted by something else, by self-centeredness in our culture. What, What Jesus taught is, is that our life starts when we recognize that it's not about us. It's about God. It's about a holy God that created the universe, that has a design and a purpose to carry out, a plan to carry out through you. So it's not about you, but it's about what God can do through you to love and serve others. You shouldn't be surprised at this. I mean, after all, this is what Jesus said. He said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me We'll find it. How true is that? I would, I would present to you today that a lot of the, the stresses and anxieties of your daily life are because you've made your life all about you. But if instead you gave your life to Jesus and lost it for him, there'd be a much different perspective gained in this world. Jesus said this in Luke 9. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Recognize it's not about you, but what you can do to join God in his work in this world. That's step one. Recognize it's not about you. Step two, trust it. Surrender to it. Believe it. Hold on to it as it holds on to you and live that out. And that's that act of of faith. So how are we going to do that? Well, here's this vision, overflow with hope. Again, you can go to the website to get lots of other things. There's lots of goals in this vision for our congregation in the next five years, like building a West Campus and, and, you know, an invite strategy and all kinds of things. Uh, But three, three things to start to make it simple. And I need just repeat after me. These are the three things. Reach out. Root deep. Love one another. Reach out. Root deep. Love one another. Here, this vision. The first part, reach out. We are an invitational congregation. It's been our mission statement for a long time to encourage all people to know the love of Jesus Christ. This is built on the greatest commandment and the great commission that Jesus gives us. It's a clear directive that Jesus gives us in Scripture. We're called to invite others to know Jesus. I understand that this is challenging. Again, this book that I'm reading, The Great Dechurching of America, huge study found that in the last 20 years, 40 million Americans have stopped going to church. 40 million people who were going to church have stopped going to church. Not, these aren't people that are, are dead. These are people that are living. It's the largest shift in American religious practices since after the Civil War. When, when the United States was, was a colony, only about 18% of, of people went to church. Did you know that? And then there was what was called the first revival, and that, that number increased, and then the Civil War Uh, eventually happened, and after the Civil War, America received its its greatest period of growth in Christians, doubled, quadrupled, where a majority uh, of the church or people in America went to the church. And it's maintained that uh, into the 19th century. That was maintained at a high level. Last year, under 50% of people who say they are Christian 
But what this study found is that 40 million Americans have walked away from their faith. There's lots of reasons. One of the primary reasons is because it just doesn't fit their life anymore. They're so busy with all the stuff that's about them that it doesn't fit their life. And they find the church to be political or hypocritical. Uh, when, I, when I meet people, and this is just maybe some advice if you're trying to invite a friend, and they say, yeah, the church is just full of so many hypocrites. I went there and I saw that person and I know they do this. And you say, yep, it is. And I'm chief among them. And I go there because I know that I'm not going to heaven because I am perfect, but because who Jesus is. So we're the broken that gather together imperfectly to serve Jesus and love one another, right? And one of, the, one of the things this book says, a lot of people say, well, a lot of people in this group, they love Jesus, but they, they can't stand the church. And another challenge I would have to that, maybe that's your perspective today and you're, you're, you're wrestling with this. The challenge I would have to you is this, is, is if you love Jesus and you read his word, then you need to love the things that Jesus loved, and Jesus called the church his bride. Paul said that, that the church was the bride of Christ. Right? That means that, that we all together are Jesus' spouse. Now, if someone came up to my wife and said, Tammy, oh, I love you. You're so kind and nice and organized and capable and, you know, love you. But your husband, eh, Kind of on the fence about him, right? What do you think Tammy would say? She'd say, yeah, I know. You should try living with him, <laughs> right? And then you could have a conversation about how to fix me. Good luck, <laughs> right? No. Tammy would say, hey, if you love me, then, then I want you to understand why I love Paul. And if you can't do that, then, then you're probably going to have trouble with me because Paul's such a big part of who I am. Right? So if we love Jesus, then we have to love the church because Jesus said the church was his bride. So here's a challenge. Reach out. Everyone, reach out. Invite one. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we're, we're, we're encouraging you this fall, to think of one person who has walked away from the church or maybe never was a part of it and invite them to come. The survey says that still one of the greatest things people were asked, what would, it, what would get you back? Across all the categories, the number one thing is a friend would invite me. So a lot of people are just waiting for an invitation. So maybe, oh, I can't do that. You know, that's the pastor's job. No, that's all of our jobs. Here's how you do it. Colleen, how are you doing? Right? Hey, I see you at the gym all the time. Do you want to come to church with my family and I? Okay, awesome. It's like that. Really hard, right? No, it is hard. I get it. It's not cultural for us to talk about that stuff that we think that's kept, kept private. But again, our faith is not private. It's personal and public. Jesus called us to be a light, to shine that brightly. So reach out. The second thing is root deep. We want you to root deep together 
in the kingdom of God. You know, when it comes to your faith, there's no neutral ground in terms of your growth. There's no maintenance. There's, there's no maintenance mode. There's no Switzerland when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. As Pastor Kevin uh, likes to remind the rest of us younger pastors, he says, even when you're coasting, you're going downhill. Right? You can't coast in the kingdom of God. Meaning every day you wake up and you have a decision. I'm either going to draw closer to God or I'm going to take a step away from him. God doesn't move. We do. And so we're encouraging you. We, I believe that, that we, this is a season in our world today with all that's going on that, that we need to root deep. That means to know God's word, to understand it, to, to practice it, to live it out, to apply it to our lives like we've never done before. And so we want to equip you as pastors. That's our job uh, to do this. There's lots of ways. You can go to the Soul Business Map online and, and you can look at that and say, here's where I am. Here might be a Bible study, a small group, a service opportunity that is great for me, and you can plug that in to your life. If you don't know where to start, what I would recommend is something called Deeply Rooted. We started this uh, in the winter last year on Sunday nights, and uh, it grew, and now we're moving it to Sunday morning. So right now, actually going on, is a first class, but you can still jump in. Uh, it's at, at the Discovery Center. North Campus, it's in Rome, West Campus, all campuses, Sunday morning, 1045, there's a pastor-led Bible study. We're going to walk through scripture from Genesis to Revelation and help you, there's no excuse, get into God's word. If this is your worship time and you miss it, um, then we would encourage you, we have a podcast. We started at the beginning of the summer, we already have 5,000 downloads to this podcast. We just read God's word and comment on it. Talk. Uh, but it's gaining immense momentum because I think people are hungry for meat on the bone, right? Not just fluff, not just entertainment, but to know who is this God that calls us and loves us in this world. So re reach out, root deep, and then finally love one another. What's that old song we sing? They'll know we are Christians by our love, right? Again, greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. One of the questions I like to ask here at Hope is if, if, if we didn't exist as a congregation, what would be the impact that the community would feel? And if you're in a church and the, and the church says, well, I don't think there'd be an impact, then you need to rethink how you're doing church, Right? I like to, to believe that Fargo would not be the same place if Hope Lutheran Church didn't exist. In terms of all the people that volunteer, that, that apply their faith, that, that, that work hard, that, that live out their lives as Christians, that give generously. And so we want to challenge you to serve. If you feel that, that maybe you need to break out of kind of this worldly mold of self-centeredness, the best way to do that is to, to, to give of your time, talent, and treasure. Serve. When you're focused on Helping another person, you can't be focused on yourself. Right? This is what Jesus calls us to do. And so we're going to do this collectively. We encourage you to do it individually. Maybe be a small group leader with our kids. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, do uh, some of our hope care ministries, whatever it might be. Or in the community at one of our partners. Great. But here's how we're going to do it collectively in this season. And that is that targeted giving this fall. We're going to run it all the way up to Thanksgiving. We currently support three schools, one in North Fargo, South Fargo, and West Fargo. 
through the backpack program. There's kids that go home with no food. And the backpack program that basically volunteers go into the schools and they, they secretly put a, a bag full of food into the kids' backpack that they can eat over the weekend. Their need has doubled this last year of kids who qualify. There's a champion in the school, usually a teacher or a counselor, that identifies those kids and, and makes sure that they got what they need. Uh, we sponsor 180 kids in our community. The need is even greater. Right? We're the only organization that does three schools. There's you know, some corporations and stuff that maybe do part of one. But we do three schools. The, what we'll need to raise to cover three years. We budget half of it in our annual budget. So to cover the other half of the budget for three years is 80,000 bucks. Just shy of 80,000 bucks. So that will be our goal this fall, to raise $80,000 to provide food for 180 kids at three schools for the next three years. If we do more, we'll do more. Right? And then the other thing is, uh, Great Plains Food Bank is the, who organizes this. Uh, I know if you haven't been to Great Plains Food Bank, they're a warehouse just west of downtown. It's not a place a lot of people go frequently, but they provide for every single food shelter or food program in all of North Dakota and Northwest Minnesota, out of our own community. In this July, they were a million pounds short in donations. Well, if you've seen the price of groceries lately, you understand a little bit of the challenge. If you're on a fixed income, if you're on the margins of society, right, it's going to be tough. And people are going hungry right now because of this. And so we want to raise 40,000 pounds. Why 40,000 pounds? Because it fills a semi-truck full of food. And uh, there's bins in our hallway. We're going to fill them up, empty them, fill them up all fall until we raise 40,000 pounds. If we do this together as Hope, we'll be their largest single uh, food collection and distribution outside of Fill the Dome, which all the area schools participate in. And so I think we can do that as a church. How cool would that be, right? If we went shopping, we just brought that stuff in. Next week, we'll remind you we'll have shopping lists so you can go out. But if you want to just buy non-perishable food items and bring them in, please do. Reach out, root deep, love one another. I want to leave you with one final metaphor. So there's a verse in Scripture where Jesus uses an agricultural reference. He actually uses lots of them. John 12, 24, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Well, we wanted to hand you all a, a, a grain of wheat, but they're too small. And so we, we went with a kernel of corn because that's abundant in our region too, right? And the metaphor that God uses says this is like the gospel, right? This is like Jesus. Jesus died and was buried in the ground so he could rise again and bring life to the world. That's the message of what God does. God redeems. He takes what's dead and brings new life to it. Now, scientists say a seed isn't technically dead. It's just dormant. I don't know. It looks pretty dead to me. Where are we planting the seeds of hope and of God's love in Jesus Christ in this world? Where we do that through inviting someone to know Jesus, inviting someone to, to come to church with us to hear the good news. That's planting a seed. How is that seed that has been planted in us by somebody else rooting deep in our own lives, right? That seed needs to, to have roots. It needs to, to drill deep 
to gather the nutrients and the moisture that it needs in order to grow. And then where are we producing an abundant harvest? Where are we, we bearing fruit? Like the fields that we see around us, right, that are just ready for harvest. Where are we producing an abundance of God's blessing in our lives? And how do we do that together in this world? And so we want to hand you this seed. The ushers are going to hand you this during the offering as a reminder for you to reach out, to root deep, and to love one another. And to know that no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how difficult the struggle, no hard it, how hard it is, how, how, how bad the pain is, how, how, how deep the hurt is, that Jesus died for you and for that so that you might have hope. And the abundance of God in Jesus Christ is greater than anything this world could possibly throw at you and at us. Amen. Father, thank you today for your grace, love, and mercy in your son, Jesus Christ. Guide us and lead us, Lord, in your truth as we seek to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we pray that, uh, that your name would be made great in this community and beyond. That all would come to know that you are Lord and you are Savior, Redeemer and Friend. In Jesus' name, amen.